I'm not your guru. There's plenty of other people faking that status. I am a committed man willing to intentionally go to war with myself every day and share with you as I do it. These are the conversations I have with myself as I do the damn work today and along the way. So no, I'm not your guru, but I am down to be your guide. So let's ride. Hey, what's going on, gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Committed Man Podcast. And I'm super excited today. I got my new friend, John Edward Heath, on the episode. Uh, John, how you doing, man? Doing well, brother. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to unpack some things with you. Yeah, for sure. We've had a couple of conversations. Our last one was really good. You were on your drive on the way to Florida, doing all these amazing things you're doing. But uh, the most intriguing thing to me was uh, when you, you know, we saw each other at Collective and kind of in passing, hey, what's going on? And then later on, you came back around. And you're like, hey, I heard you do this thing. And uh, we got into a little conversation there. And that was there was something at that moment that I knew we would be talking more later on. Uh, yeah. And now here we are with this. So, yeah, man, um, I, you know, in our last conversation, you said something that uh, really caught my interest. And that was that you from Iceland. You're Icelandic. So, yeah. yeah, give me, tell me about that. Like, you were born in Iceland and how long were no, you no, there? No, 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 no. So, the backstory on, so there's a lot that goes into, I've never, when people ask me where I'm from, mm. especially in the States, listen, Donovan, I've lived, I lived in California for 10 years. I've lived in the South. I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in the East Coast. I grew up in the East Coast. And then I left, I lived in Europe. And Iceland became my home, man. Iceland, Iceland was my version mm. of redefining yourself, of, of who I was going to be. There's a lot that happened in my lifetime. I really didn't know who John Edward Heath was going to be outside of service, outside of coaching, outside of no longer having a limb. And then COVID happened. So it just, there's... Iceland's my home. There's I have family there, but what everybody needs to understand about me as a person, I have homes and families all over the place. Love that it. is just to let you know like a lot of people have helped me develop and we and I didn't know that until now that I'm in this path that I'm in where it's like even if it was letting me stay on your couch for one day, like that helped develop the man that I am today. Powerful. That's really powerful, man. So Tell me, give me some history through all this moving and all the things you did. What were some of the constants as like hobbies and things that had your interest as you were growing up? So, you know, what's crazy that you asked that here's and I try to really emphasize this. I didn't play sports as a kid. So the fact that I'm a professional athlete competing at the highest level in multiple sports <laughs> lets you know, like, I think that that is a uniqueness in what I think people should really focus on my story because every other person, my best friends all in the NFL. They've been playing football since they were four, you know, and then you go to peewees and you play in elementary school, you play in a league, you play flag football, you go to middle school, you go to high school. And then the dream is division one football. Then the dream is the NFL. And the same goes for every other sport. For me, unfortunately, I didn't really, I really didn't have hobbies, man. I, I honestly, as a kid, I, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that I needed to figure out as a child. I bounced around from homes if you've read and you know, 
I was a product of social services and I was, and, but the crazy thing about it was that I was, I know who my biological parents are. I lived with them. I, I dealt with a lot of trauma and abuse, like actual trauma and abuse by them, which finally the system was like, all right, now the 13th time is when we're going to remove you from mm. the home. Right. And that's, that's what happened. So as a kid, honestly, I just really, I've always been a people person. So for me as a child, I just really loved being around whoever was in my life in that season. That's honestly what my hobby was. And whether it was going to the club or, you know, going to eat some pizza, I was a hooligan, man. We, 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 <laughs> we stayed up plenty of late nights and, you know, sleeping on benches and stuff. So. Well, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because, you know, and we don't have to go too deep into the things that happened, but as these things were happening, were there shifts in your mindset and your personality that you could feel going on? Like you said, like, here, okay, 13th time, we're going to remove you. Like, what was that doing to your mind as this stuff was happening? Honestly, I will tell you right now at 32 years old, I, this is why I believe in God and why I believe in the universe. In, in these moments, I never really, I never really fell into the poor me mentality. So as these things were going, I just, the hustle mentality, and I grew up in a very like gang heavy place. It was just, this is what's happening. What's the next step, right? So my entire childhood until I was 17 years old, that's what it was. It was like, oh, biological mom's drunk. You know, she's on drugs. She's, looks like I gotta, you know, you're gonna deal with this. Or you just already knew what was coming. So now that I'm an adult, I realized that at these moments, it was like I started to see I was very mature for my age. I've always been like the older parent of groups. I just I had to move a different way than everybody else. And and I, I just you don't know what you don't know. So at the moment, this is all that is provided for me. I didn't know any better. And then, boom, I served, you know, I enlisted. At, I left at 17. At 18 years old, I'm in California. I have I had never been to that side of the country by myself. And you just took me from the DMV, which is literally the right side of the country, all the way to the left. And at that point, you're throwing the wolves, man. You got to figure it out. So what made you decide to go into the military? The recruiters were very persistent. And when I tell you that a lot of people have seen things in me, that I've never really seen in myself. They were a big factor because they said like, there's something in you that we know is destined for something bigger. And they were the parent figures at the moment that ensured I wasn't skipping school. And it gave me a sense of purpose to finish school. Cause I had, get, I had gotten kicked out of three high schools. So I was my freshman and sophomore year. I was, I was transitioning from schools and I was kicked out of a district and I was supposed to be a high school dropout. And, and at that point, and when I was set, you know, when I decided to enlist, Donovan, I had to change my life, man. I was, I was like a year and a half behind school. I remember doing all seven periods, night school, Saturday school, summer school, while losing weight to join the service. Like, and it was what you had to do. Yeah. All right. So all right, you go through that, right? There's already, you can start to see some mindset traits that are there, even if you didn't see them at the time, right? The willingness to, okay, I got to grind and get this thing done in this short amount of time because I have a goal that I'm going after. Right. Um, of course, you were being held accountable, which was which is fine, but something in you had to do something about it. Then you get into the military. 
Um, give me a little bit about your experience of, uh, again, I like the mental game, right? What did being in the military do for you as far as your personal growth in your mind? I got to thank the military for, I, I, I thrive best in controlled chaos. That's, that's not something that you develop. That's something that is taught. Um, I got to give thanks to the military for giving me a level of controlling yourself in fear, controlling yourself, you know, in situations that you just will never really be in yourself. You're talking to a kid who grew up in DC and Maryland, and all of a sudden I'm on a 30 foot jump for a pool, you know, to learn swim crawl. Mm. Didn't do that. I never shot a rifle as a child, right? Um, so you're, you're, you're put into this element where it's, it's either sink or swim. I, that prolonged in my time, except for I was 17 years old and now I'm, now I'm on my own. And I, I've been partying since I was 13, 14 years old. I was, you know, heavy in the club scene. Now I'm in this alcoholic seems normal culture. So now I'm a high functioning alcoholic because I am getting messed up and then I'm performing at high levels mm. to run certain, you know, physical fitness tests and stuff like that. So it's, it's a mixture of, of mentalities and you know, there are good and bad things just like in everything else. But sure. the biggest takeaway that I will answer your question is the fact that my discipline as a professional athlete is on a whole different level because of my military discipline. So when I say no is no, like I'm not going out to party. I'm not, like I know what the mission is, I know what the goal is. There's no distraction right now, and I, oh, I got to thank the military for that. Man, so that thing you talked about—the distraction—I feel I talk about this with the community man a lot. I feel like it's man's greatest villain right now, and it comes in so many different ways. A lot of them very subtle, some bluntly obvious, right in our face, and still it's easy to fall into these distractions. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. That there has to be this hard stop on what you allow in and what you don't because everything is affecting your path. Right. Um, so speaking of path, so you, you get out of the military, what's life like as soon as you get out of the military, what do you do next? I go into this dark hole of drugs and alcohol. Mm. And in the midst of that, my best friend committed suicide in 2018. So that played a role into this dark, but here's the thing is that everybody in the military tells you it's okay. It's okay to get messed up seven days out of the week. It's okay as a man to, you know, go to the club on Thursday and show up to work on Friday hungover. Right. Mm -hmm. So nobody really corrected me until my best friend. And she's like my older sister, man. Her name's, you know, her name's Lauren. There was a situation that could have put me in jail. And that was my, that was my waking point. But also during COVID, I lost my significant other to suicide. Mm. So I've lost two people, you know, and now what people don't, you know, really take into consideration, my amputation was military malpractice. So now I've, I'm forced to walk away from the military for multiple other reasons. But one of them is military malpractice that leads up to an amputation. I saw how my best friend's death was treated and it put me into perspective where I was like, wow, if I was the one who would have committed suicide, would you have treated me even worse than what you're treating his death, right? Because suicide is seen as being a coward, whether it's in religion or whether it's being a man or whether it's being societal, mm. 
suicide is seen as as a weakness. It's seen as as, as being a coward. I studied psychology, man. I went from being a high school dropout to uh, you know having a bachelor's in psychology because I was losing so many people. So outside of the military, who was I? I didn't know. I became this frat boy. I became this. I'm from a, a town in Maryland that alcoholism, just like the military, is praised, right? Because nobody looks at you different when you drink. But if it's a different drug, heaven forbid, you know, I, and I mentioned to you, like, I love using this analogy. Nobody freaks out when I say, like, oh, yeah, I don't do heroin. Oh, I don't do crack. But people bug out when I'm like, oh, I don't drink. What do you, what do you mean you don't drink? I forgot I just told you I don't drink. Like, why do I need to explain myself to you? Like, I don't drink. I don't like to feel shitty the following day. You know, I, yeah. I have, a, I have a, a list of things to do that it's not a priority. So I honestly, I spent a lot of time figuring out who I was. And I thought I knew who I was. I thought I got out and I thought I developed this person. But in reality, it was, it was false healing. Mm. Tell me more about that. Why, why false healing? How do you recognize that? And what because, does that mean? Because as men, we don't really unpack what, what we have going on. I was like this and this and this and this happened. Now I'm doing this, this, and this. But did we ever talk about or seek help for all these things that you underwent? Right? There's still things that I'm dealing with. Like right now is my healing period. And my healing period hurts. And excuse my language, it hurts like a motherfucker. Because... I don't, I never talked about my childhood. I never talked about being a man who's been molested and sexually assaulted, right? I've never talked about never really having a sense of belonging. Why? It started since I was a child. So these are things that, you know what? Oh, no, man, I'm tough. I'm, I joined the military. I served 10 years. Now I'm a professional athlete. And you can't tell me other, that that's not true strength. And I think that that's what's being portrayed. The average person man these days feels that to be strong you have to be the david goggins and the jocko in your face mm -hmm. stupid ice bats at four in the morning you know disrespecting women by calling them out of their names or whatever the case may be i feel like that's what's being portrayed for me i'm on a different wavelength now i'm being honest about how i feel now i'm like all right is this going to benefit my mental health there's a lot of things that i will not do to jeopardize my mental health anymore. Really powerful because um, there's a, a question that I asked that started to change my life a little bit, right? Actually a lot, because everything revolves around this question. Like, am what I, the action I'm about to take or the behavior I'm about to engage in or the habit I'm about to create, does this contribute to the greatest version of the man I see myself becoming, right? And if it doesn't, the answer is automatically no. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. Emotionally, I might want the thing right now, but that doesn't serve what I want, right? So I've right. learned over time that this discipline of the answer is just no, hard stop, no. And that becomes unreasonable to a lot of people. So why, like, what what made you find that in yourself? Like, there's these hard stop, no, these, these boundaries that just don't get crossed, that's a very good question. I, I'm, I will tell you, society makes it hard for men to say no, because we're supposed to fit this. There's a list of things that tells you what it is to be a man, right? Like, but for me, what you need to know is the person I was in the military, I'm not proud of. I was very toxic. I was very 
you know, I lied about a lot of things. I disrespected people. I disrespected my partners. I built this, what I thought being a strong man was, right? Mm. This buff, strong, you never saw me cry. In order for me to heal and push forward, I really needed to look that old person in the face. And the biggest struggle that I have right now is, is I, there's certain things that I, I try my hardest to forgive myself for. And as humans, we tend to live too much in the past. And I have that issue in my mind where it's like you start to think of things that you did in the past or the person you were in the past that doesn't allow you to live in the present moment. So for me, the big switch was watching my best friend die and everybody said they would remember him. And the day after he died, everyone forgot. So why am I going to sit here and try to impress people by what I wear or how I act? or what shoes I wear, right? Or what clothes I put on or how much money I make. And then fast forward, I lost my partner to suicide and I witnessed the exact same thing. So there were certain things that really aligned into, okay, these are the directions that I need to head, which is why I will not argue or really need to tell anyone why I believe in God and why I believe in a higher purpose. Because if I... I could easily, everything that I'm telling you that I've done and I've been and I've witnessed, I should not be where I'm at right now. And I have every right in the book to sit here and be like, well, you know, I'm disabled. I am not going to compete in Paralympic sprinting or adaptive CrossFit or try to make a winter games for the Paralympics or do a third of the things that I do. But I think, especially men, I think people, but especially men, need to hear these things yeah. because to go back to what I just said, we're being told how to act. We're being told what portrays a man, but then now everybody, right? What do women say? Men ain't shit. That's all you see on social media. Oh, if you don't make six figures and above, that ain't the kind of man that I need. What do you bring to the table? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the average woman right now cannot outcook me in the kitchen. So let's really dive, <laughs> dive down into what it is that, you bring to the table and Drake said it best, man, you got to be some type of person to make me not want to go to sleep at nine o'clock because I'm in a profession right now where my time is valuable. My career is number one. Sleep is priority. My nutrition is priority. So if you think that I'm 21 years old and I'm, I'm going to be texting you at three in the morning, talking about sneaky link, whatever, you got the wrong one, man. We are we are mm. grown ass people. If we finna do some stuff, it better be it would better be before nine o'clock, right? Yo, so all these factors, the bed. you know, what I'm saying. So all these factors play a role into what I do. And then, to be quite honest with you, Donovan, nobody checked on me, man. Nobody checked on me when I got out of the military. Nobody checked on me when I lost my leg. I've had 14 surgeries. Mm. Where were all the people at when John had the tab and I was swiping my credit card? Right. And we were down in downtown San Diego and everybody knew who I was. Right. And you knew the girls were always around John and you knew your boy was always going to hook you up with, with a meal or you knew where were all those people at. And the mm. same thing happened in my childhood when I would get in trouble. Right. Like, where was y'all at? Y'all was there when I got the table with the bottle. Right. Y'all was there when I got you in VIP. Where y'all at now? So as a 32 year old man. I'm not afraid to be alone, man. I understand humans work in, 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 
in community and groups and whatever the case may be. And I love, I am part of plenty of men's group. But if you want to, you want to ask me who I talk to on a daily basis, it's the five people I got pinned on my text messages. Those are the five people I text on a daily basis. And if I text someone out of there and they don't respond, I don't even allow it to affect me because you're not that person in my circle. So all of those factors played a role into how and what I'm living right now. That just really doesn't allow me to act out of character. Man, I love this. It sounds like you have these these boundaries that are set that are healthy for you, especially in the season of healing that you're in. It's really important to be able to have things not crowd your space that are unnecessary. And so I applaud you for having those boundaries set. And you've mentioned a few times about this this amputation, and I don't want to harp on this because I know <laughs> that you are not defined by this. It actually made you exactly who you are today, and you needed that moment. So, but you know, the audience is going to wonder this amputation. How did the amputation happen? Fourteen surgeries. I just you run us through this timeline. Okay. Well, first I'm gonna ask you, what was your impression when you first saw me at the gym? I was impressed. No, let me tell you what the, what I saw first. What I saw first, I went to go sit down in the break room area, and I got my man's leg sitting right here and his bag, but nobody's around. It's just I'm sitting there. There's a leg here. There's a bag, and I'm like. All right. I understand what's going on here. I want to meet this guy. That's actually what I thought in my mind. I want to meet this guy. And then we kind of walking past each other. I'm like, dude, what's up? I, I told you, I think I've seen your videos. You're, you keep working hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we pass each other and then, you know, you circled back around later on. So I was like, yeah, this is I'm inspired and I'm more inspired knowing what I know now. So that's why I want you to share what you can to to get people to this point where you're at this non-victim mentality. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. And it does get repetitive. However, I'm gonna just give you the condensed version. I got into an accident. I got into an accident. The military tried to repair it. I, it wasn't the accident. That's I need the like, I wish the media would understand that it's not the accident that caused my amputation. It was military medicine trying to repair my lower body. And it was like, it was just too many surgeries that by the time I was by the time it was time for me to leave the service, I was already jacked up. And I had asked for an amputation at 28 before I got out of the military because my biggest fear was to come to the civilian world and have to deal with this injury. Because here's the thing, in 2018, 19 and 2020, if you would have met me, you would not have watched me move the way that I move now. I was by definition disabled. I had a lower extremity salvage. I had, I had drop foot. I had an Achilles replacement. I had bone marrow transfusions. I had, um, cartilage replacement, dude, you name it. Like I had, I had cadaver, like, and it was just, it was, they Mm. tried repairing it. It did not work. I wore a surgical halo, cotton infection, healed from it, went in. And then when COVID happened, I was put on pause. Fast forward past COVID. I went back into the hospital and I said, hey, listen, I know the world just stopped. I got it, but we got to pick this back up. And they wanted to do a 13th lower extremity reconstruction surgery. I wasn't going to do that. And they were against it. You can't just go into medical and be like, hey, chop my leg off. It's not, mm. it's not that easy. It's a lot political than that. So I was angry and I called, I called a lot of people and they told me, you know, you got to advocate for yourself. So I felt God was with me in this one, man, because I walked in and I, I, I held my ground and I was vocal about what I needed to be vocal about. And then 
she was like, you, this is what you want. And I, and I, and I stand to this and I can, I can call her and ask her. I said, if, if, and when this happens and you see me on TV for some sort of sport, remember we had this conversation. Oh my God. And now two years deep into an amputation. Here we are. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about where we are because this is where the story just gets crazy. <laughs> and this is, this right. is the mindset part that I want everybody to pay attention. Who's listening to this, pay attention to how mindset affects every part of your life when you open up and receive what it's bringing you. Right. So, all right. So you had this, you told this lady, this, all right, you had the amputation. And then you get out. What is your first like? What's your what's your mission when you get out of this amputation? Like, what do you set out to do? Biggest mission was to get back into sports. I was an Olympic weightlifter. I've always been a weightlifter, man. I, listen, I will send you a picture. I was 275, 12 percent body fat in the military. I was a big jet boy. I jacked. was a big boy. Like my traps and it's crazy, right? So when people like look at me now, and they're like, wow, you're a big dude. I'm like, I'm small right now. I just wanted to get back into sport, man. And 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 it, again, I'm gonna put I'm gonna keep relying, I, I'm gonna keep using God as an example because the people that God put around me, it was dude, it was way too orchestrated for it not to happen the way it did. Mm. The person who took me to my amputation is Olympian and wide receiver for the Eagles, Devin Allen. That's the man who sat with me in my amputation. That's my best friend. Like that is that is the man who saw me. He moved to Maryland training for Paris or for Tokyo, saw a guy with a prosthetic. I wore a different prosthetic when I had a salvaged limb. And then next thing you know, him and I are training and got stuck together during COVID. We're running on the track. And I remember one day, dude, I called him, picked him up in one of my like drunk, you know, uh, drug episodes. And I was crying, man. And I'm like, oh, I just want to, you know, compete. And he's like, well, why don't you? And the victim mentality in me wanted to be like, because I got a messed up leg. But I didn't, you know, it was just like a conversation. So when the amputation got approved, I had 30 days to get everything ready. You get what mm. I'm saying? And in that time frame, I had given up meat. I had given up alcohol. I had given up animal products, right? So it, it was just... The way things occurred, it was just way too orchestrated where it was like amputation happened in the hospital during COVID. I'm chilling, man. I just want cramp. Two, two, two places that ginger ale hits different, hospitals and airplanes. Don't at me. All right? That's all I wanted. <laughs> and, you know, and, and Devin was sitting yeah. there, man. Devin and my best friend who passed away in 2018, his mom flew in from uh, South Carolina and she also took care of me. And it was just, Devin is probably one of the most talented athletes, but honestly, one of the best humans I've ever had the privilege of being friends with. And Devin was the reason that it was like, okay, I'm witnessing you. You don't have a lot of friends. You're very reserved. You're very to yourself. You know, you train and you play video games. I used to give him crap because he never wanted to go out with me. And I learned a lot from him. And that was the thing was like, when we went into this, I just had a two-time Olympian and, you know, at the time he wasn't with the Eagles, but I had an Olympian with me training for, for Tokyo and it was just, what's the next step? How do we get you to a platform? And then 
I did a one-legged power clean six days post-amputation that went viral on social media. And that's what opened up the door. You know, that's what opened up the door. And again, orchestrated because Sonny Webster, who's a big Olympic weightlifter in, in the social media space and in the Olympic weightlifting world, he was the one who reshared my video. That was my coach. And that's when we're viral in the UK, right? Then Alex Smith. Alex Smith had a gruesome injury. We connected through Hanger Clinic and Kenny Main and all this other stuff. So Kenny Main or Alex Smith, I called that. I, I messaged Alex Smith before my amputation. And Alex Smith said, this is what's holding you back. No average person can, can sit here and tell you these. And I'm not name dropping. I'm just letting you know, like, these are the people that, that at the time, these were the people in my circle. These were the people who made it like possible. And then I just remember starting a, a GoFundMe to help me get to Paris and uh, Derek Holland, pitcher for the, the Rangers donated, right? Very good friend of mine, Alex Smith donated. And it was just all of these pro athletes that just really started the, the, the stuff. And it went by so fast that like to think you'd have thought I've been doing this my whole life. And I'm not mm. saying that in an arrogant manner. I'm just saying like, I'm really well known in a lot of spaces that the average person is not known in. You met me as the first amputee to train at Collective. I'm the first and only amputee to train there. So this is God's plan, man. I don't, I don't need to prove to anybody why I belong where I belong. As much as I, I, I try my hardest not to live in the past, it's this was what's meant for you cannot be taken. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Oh, also, what's meant for you will not pass you by as long as you're doing the work and taking the action necessary <laughs> right. when it comes. And that's you're you're right in the middle of that right now. So you and I had a conversation the other day. You told me about all these things you have going on. Let's connect that back to when you told that lady. Remember, you're going to see me, you know, doing a pro sport. You're going to see me on on the news. You're going to see me on TV, whatever. What it would let's just give everybody a list of like all the things you have coming up now. Oh, man. So I am. I'm racing in Oklahoma City. That'll be my last meet for the season. And then here's the thing is in this in this journey, there's been so much adversity that I could have easily given up in two years. I got kicked off my team. So I'm here in Claremont, Florida for no reason because I'm no longer on the team. In the midst of that, every time it was like it's it's never been I've got the next meet. It's how am I going to pay for the next meet? I'm not sponsored, right? So – that like, and that's what people need to understand. Like, it's just been, I went from Maryland to Texas. Texas did not play out. Moved to Ohio. Ohio did not plan out. Moved to Florida. I'm in the midst of moving to Austin. This is all in two years. And in those, and in, and in that, right, like I got to train next to Joe Burrow in Ohio, Khalid Kareem, who by is, is literally my best friend, little brother, plays defensive end for the Colts. You know, man, Florida, here, I've met so many Olympians, so many different CrossFit athletes and business owners and other amputees that want to be like me, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot that happened in two years. So I've got Oklahoma City coming up. You know, I didn't get to make it to nationals because I had to make an adult decision with everything. I got kicked off the team 20 days post national or pre-nationals what did i do 
I went to collective and I trained three weeks because my goal is to make the Paralympic team this year. Would it have been great to be on the world team and have been to Paris? 100%. But what's meant to be yours cannot be taken. And it was just not in my cards to go to world. What did I do? I went to Austin and in three weeks, the amount of people that I met, bro, everywhere I went, they were like, how do you all know each other? And, you know, blah. It was just the craziness, right? So ending the season. And then I jump into CrossFit, which is, you know, it, I, I, I'm competing in Australia. I'm training in Dubai. I'm training in Par- or, uh, Iceland. I've got speaking engagements coming up. I've got photo shoots. I've got two magazines that want to show my story. I've got, I've got another podcast in like two hours after this, right? So it's, it's a lot. And what people also need to know is I wasn't prepared for this because after service, I, lo- I moved to Europe. I was trying to disappear. I was trying to go ghost. Mm. I, I wanted to take care of John and John only. And who was John going to be? And here we're sitting in 2023 where I'm letting you know, like, I don't have room to breathe. I don't, <laughs> I go to red carpet events. I, you know, I get to do a lot of stuff for the adaptive community and the disabled community. Is it stressful? Yeah, man. I don't want people in my business, but I feel like I was put in this position to make a difference. And, and that's, mm sense of purpose. I think that's what we've lost. Men have lost a sense of purpose and society or social media is telling you a bunch of BS that what you think is happiness and what you, it is that you need to pursue, right? Like I feel like the common thing that, that men are supposed to pursue these days are like all these BBLs and like lip fillers and all of this artificial stuff, right? But if you come, but if you, if you're a little too fat, right? Like you're not good enough for, 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 <laughs> for a, a, a you know a, a 10 or whatever you, you call it so i think that it's a double standard mm. so i picked up on two key things here right you mentioned um you know how it's a lot going on right now and it's it's it can be a little overwhelming because you weren't prepared for this and the other part saying that you know the universe kind of lined up with everything so in the middle of all this a genuine question from man to man heart to heart how are you how are you doing with everything i appreciate you asking the average person doesn't ask me because i'm the strong person right i'm supposed to be everyone's beacon of hope i'm doing well uh i will tell you i i went into the darkest place in my life in november i had an incident happen with the media and some veterans that i served with but you know my faith kept me aligned i i honestly think I right now am in a phase in my life where I've gotten comfortable being by myself, which is a blessing. I used to always need to do stuff with people. I always needed to go out and I, I play a lot. I pay a lot of tribute to that, to a lot of the men in my life that, that hold me accountable. I just told you Khalid Kareem is, is, you know, he plays for the Colts, but that's, he's not, a, he's not an NFL player to me. That, that's my best friend. That's like my little brother. And we hold each other accountable. Devin Allen, I, I learned a lot from him. He goes to practice, he comes home. You know, he's at home, he's eating healthy, he's playing video games. Mm. It, it's a constant thing. So when you hear these things on social media that say, you know, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are, or surround yourself around five billionaires and you could be the six. Like I genuinely believe that. Do I have mental health issues? Absolutely. And that's and that's what pisses me off about social media, right? Right now we're in Pride Month. You got all these people telling you to be yourself. 80% of these people aren't even living their, their, their truth, but they're, they're, they're telling, they're, they're taking that million dollar picture. They might not even be happy, right? 
you've got celebrities posting about mental health. Oh, I donated $100,000 to the mental health suicide prevention line. What did you do after that? Nobody talks about like, you don't just, you don't just go through things and then you heal and then that's it. Nobody talks about like, how is it that if you're trying to get a six pack, you meal prep. If you're trying to get biceps, you go to the gym, right? If you're trying to be spiritual, healthy, you go to church, you go to Bible study. Why does nobody emphasize on mental health? Why does nobody talk about the days that you wake up from depression? Like sad. There are days that I'll text people and I'll be like, there, how you doing? I'm sad. Why? I don't know. I shouldn't have a reason to tell. I don't, I shouldn't have a reason to be sad. I mm. wake up mad. I wake up moody. People don't talk about these things. I do. I am transparent with everything. Actual mental health. I actually live mental health every day and every day is showing up. And, and my goal is just showing up better than yesterday. It's not about the five-year plan. It's not about how am I going to make this next million dollars, right? It's how are you showing up today? How did you give back to society? Were you true to yourself or did you sell your soul for a contract? Did you sell your soul for your peace? Did you sell your soul for, because here's the thing that we get twisted. Every single person that is able to pay rent, not have to worry about getting food, can pay their water can buy a shirt if they like it, whether it's one shirt. That's being rich, man. Do the math and mm. in how much we spend in rent, utilities, your car note, your insurance. If all of that is covered, you're rich, man. Just because you ain't got the commas in the bank account doesn't mean you get to be unhappy. I've mm. seen homeless people feeding their dogs, man, with, with more happiness than the average human in 2023. And I think we've lost our sense of what is it that makes you happy? Why? Because the Kardashians are telling you, you know, you got to look a certain type mm. of way. So our women are trying to look like them when in reality, the average person doesn't look like that. Then you have guys like Jake Paul telling the average man that they need to do X, Y, and Z to be, you know, and then you have society telling you that if you go to the gym, you're arrogant and you're, you know, self-centered and you're conceited because of the way you look, man. I'm not about that. And yeah, I go to the gym because I have a passion for fitness. I love, I love slinging weight. I love sprinting. I, I love being active. I've been active for almost 17 years of my life now. It's not going to stop. The other thing is people don't really understand. I tell the average disabled person, you need to go to the gym because you just made your life harder by being an amputee. So CrossFit adaptive CrossFit isn't for you to be the most competitive person. Adaptive CrossFit is teaching people that if you fall off a wheelchair, you can get back up. Adaptive CrossFit is giving oh. me a stronger core so I can stand in the bathroom while I shower because I'm missing a whole ass leg. And it's the same thing that I talk to people. People don't like to train with me. Oh, you're a professional athlete. Oh, you're stronger than me. Man, if this is your 100%, that's all I need from you. I tell older folks, I'm not asking you to be an Olympian. I'm not asking you to go to the gym for three hours like I do. What I'm asking you is to get mobile and get healthy because I'm pretty sure you have grandchildren or you have kids that you would like to see and not have to worry about being in the hospital or being stuck on a couch or being stuck in a wheelchair. Like these are things that people don't consider, but, but going to the gym is toxic. Mm. Man. So 
there, there's so much here and a lot, a lot has uh, opened up that really shares like your heart, your mindset. That's going to really serve a lot of people. Your story is just beginning, right? If we go back and look at, right, the, the path that was, you know, kind of chosen for you through childhood and then what you choose, chose to do when you started being able to make adult decisions, going into the military, establishing a certain mindset of structure and accountability in the military, bringing that out into uh, the real world after after having this this traumatic situation with the leg, not falling into a victim mindset, going through 14 surgeries, finally getting the, the amputation, then saying, you know what, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'm not sponsored. I'm going to find a way to pay for this stuff. I'm going to move here, move here, move here. Within two years, you've done so much. And now your voice is starting to be heard a lot more because you have a lot to speak on that is actually beneficial to not only men, but anybody who's willing to understand how the power of your mindset and not staying so attached to the story as your identity can really make a huge difference. And so I just want to appreciate you for the way that you're showing up. Uh, I can feel right now like you're really at the kind of this beginning portion of this ride that's about to accelerate. Um, (laughs) And I can, I can, I feel that for you. So yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to be here. And I just want to ask you this question to close it out. What does it mean to you to be a committed man? What does it mean to me to be a committed man? I think being a committed man for myself is honestly just being a hundred with what you say. A lot of, a lot of people say one thing and their actions are different. Mm. You know, you're being told, like, I see this a lot in the influencer world where they take these sponsorships and not really using the product or you have people telling you that they're sober, you know, but they're not really sober. They're still on the party and weekends, but they're doing it for whatever reason. Committed to me is I'm committed to everything I'm doing in the most authentic manner. I'm committed to my community whether it's my church community, whether it's my adoptive community, you know, adoptive kids, foster kids, the disabled community, there's just so much commitment. I'm accountable, man. I never held myself accountable back in the day. I'm accountable now. Mm. I don't need a book or, or society to tell me what box I need to fit in. Committed to me is that if I were to die tomorrow, I did everything in my power to live a fulfilled life. And I did everything in my life to give back when I could. Lovely, man. I can tell you, I'm happy to know you and I'm happy to collaborate on some things down the road. And uh, I'm glad we got to spend this time together. And I know something you shared in this podcast is going to serve a man who's listening to it. So thank you again for the way you're showing up. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate you being on. And we'll see y'all on the next episode. Peace. I'm not your guru. There's plenty of other people faking that status. I am a committed man willing to intentionally go to war with myself every day and share with you as I do it. These are the conversations I have with myself as I do the damn work today and along the way. So, no, I'm not your guru. But I am down to be your guide. So let's ride.